This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. You're listening to this the Weekly America. Brew with Austin Stepp, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. Now. It's time Look to sit back, now. relax, and be informed. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Welcome to episode 133 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, joined alongside the one and only Randy Macho Man Savage, or Hunter Atkins wearing a Randy the Macho Man Savage green shirt. Looks impeccable. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a little Rockets tonight. We're going to talk a little Astros tonight. Of course, Rockets dropping game three in uh, Oakland on Sunday night. Uh, Hunter, really quickly, what are your thoughts on the Royal Wedding? I mean, that's the big story of the week, right? <laughs> With Northwestern's own, uh, I can't remember her name. Meghan Markle. Right, Meghan Markle. Uh, cool. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, uh, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. still really worried about the populist movement across the Western <laughs> uh, world. So. Why did people get up at four in the morning to watch that? What? No, ask yourself that. Why did you get up? Oh, I was passed out. Uh, I don't think so. You were live tweeting the whole thing. Fake news. Go to my Twitter right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're using a dummy account. All right, you caught me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But no, I, I think that, I think we just we've always had a fascination with beauty and you know proper society. There's something you know it's it's old fashioned. There's something quaint about it. Pointless, vapid, but quaint. I saw Serena Williams was there. Nobody wants to hear this. The Rockets suck tonight. Oh my god, terrible. Forty one point loss. Worst in a franchise franchise history. history. Worst by a sixty. Worst loss period but by sixty five one team. I, I'm not. I have to say, it's really. It's just not that big of a deal. So why is that? Well, they got their butts whooped in game one. Um, they got blown out in. Uh, God, what was that? I'm sorry. What was their first playoff series in the this uh, this postseason? Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, game three. Yeah, they played a garbage game against Minnesota. They played a really bad game against the Jazz. Right. right? Game two like, at home. There's something about the Rockets where they really do lose very badly to return and play very well. It's just, it really isn't that big of a deal. Let's and, not overreact too much. Yeah, but, you know? I, I'm totally fine with like the non-overreaction. The Warriors sucked last game. And yeah, they two. did. They did. So, and, and today was kind of interesting. I mean, the three games first off have been decided by a combined 76 points. That's just, un- <laughs> that's unreal. Right. Uh, but the Rockets, they didn't shoot well to start the game. They were playing well defensively to start the game. And, you know, despite everything, they were down, what, uh, just 11 points going into half. Well, here, so here's the turning point. Before the first half ended, it was 48-42? point game, yeah. It was like 48-40, yeah. 48-41, 40, 48-42, something like that. With like 90 seconds left. And then just this awful swing of uh, maybe around six or eight points where the Rockets, nothing but bricks, and the Warriors just trounced them. And really, like... I, I do think that that is when the game was lost. Obviously, they, you, you think, oh, they have a whole second half, but they just, th- that was a good chance to close the gap. There and were keep easy things even, layups, like point blank range. We're so, so, in the background of you right now, your television is on, and we're just walking, watching an entire brick factory Chris Paul against the rim, James Harden against the rim, Clint Capella against the rim, uh, Trevor Reza and Chris Paul getting underneath the basket in the same possession and then passing out. Um, yeah, but but this is also this is almost my reason why we can water down the loss just a little bit because the Warriors. I mean, sorry, the Rockets don't play like this, right? Right. It was as abnormal a night as we're going to see. Um, the Warriors are better, I think. I, I don't remember in in the preview pod 
Ben and I. You had him in six. Ben and myself Warriors. had him in seven. The Rockets in seven. Okay, so and that I, was a home. You guys, pick. you guys picked the Rockets in seven. I picked the Warriors in right. six. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we're still on track. I think the Rockets also, are still still a yeah, game. I think the consensus has been and, and still is that the Warriors are the better team. Um, but there's no reason to overreact and think that just because the Rockets had this awful loss, they they are the team. Frankly, they don't lose games closely. I wish I, I you know, if I had my wherewithal, I would have done some research before this, but. If we looked at, if we charted the Rockets' losses this season, regular season and postseason, my guess is that on average, I bet they've lost on by double digits. They are, for some reason, they are a team that just, they don't lose close. That once it's over, it's just over. They're listless. Um, they were, you know, not only off, strangely, shooting at the rim, but, you know, their defense on top of that multiplied it because it was so crappy. Like, Harden, there was a stat, I, I should, where's my phone? So Chris Haynes of ESPN, who has such, they, God, they have such good stat people at ESPN Stats oh, absolutely. and Info. Yeah. So this is the isolated statistic. The Warriors were 7 of 11 with James Harden as the primary defender. That included a combined 6 of 7 by Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. Golden State finished 8 of 14 against Harden. Wow. So, you know, his defense was really, really crappy as well, individually. Um, Luka Mamute played long minutes tonight when D'Antoni was hopelessly looking for an answer, and he still is hurt and crappy. Um, add into that that Stephen Curry is back. Holy crap! Yeah, and that's the, beautiful. That's the crazy just, thing. Just I mean, game. When, when the game first started, the Rockets went straight at him, right? And, and just like the last two games. Yeah, and he's been targeted. He's been targeted. So before before game three, Stephen Curry had been targeted more than forty times um, on plays, which was the most of any single defender in the entire series. That's say Hunter Atkins stats and info. No, I think I also ripped that off of ESPN stats and info. Actually, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but you know, you look at that game. Uh, Curry started off slow again, and again on Twitter it was a narrative. He's not 100 percent healthy. He's not 100 percent healthy, and then he flipped yeah. I remember the switch. somebody after game two asking Steve Kerr. Yeah, about and then I, I think much... I think Kerr said it was what 13.7 percent impactful based on his injury. Do you, do you know who that was that asked the I question? I don't know. He roasted that reporter, whoever that was. Was that reporter the... read by any chance after, or did the the reporter like shrug it off and move on? I don't know. I mean, my guess is he was sweating through his shirt around the breast area. Panting, uh, you know, crying quietly in the bat in the men's room. You can follow that reporter at Hunter Atkins thirty five <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. Anyway, yes. Sorry. The, the, yeah, the narrative at that point was drumming up again. You know, just how hurt is Stephen Curry? How much is that affecting his poor performance? And then thirty five points. <laughs> yeah, and his, he, he his had second his, half. Was he had so... his swag back tonight. Yeah, the shimmying. The uh, he scores that basket and says. Uh, this is my effing house, right? Yeah, And, uh, yeah, you know, like, gosh. And in addition to the histrionics, the, those beautiful, singular, quick-trigger three-pointers that he does, so beautiful, so cool, right? He's, like, lulling Harden into a little bit of a, of a daze at one point with several, you know, crossover dribbles. A pick comes up at the top of the three, and he gets just enough daylight behind the pick uh, Harden and Capella are clustered by whoever set the pick and just very quickly flicks, just flicks up that little three from 28 feet out or whatever. Yeah, he's he's definitely back. He's got such a quick release. It, when when he's on, he's so much fun to watch. I know Rockets fans hate hearing that, but... Well, that's all right. It's, it's there's the a truth. reason why he's a two-time MVP. Yeah, one of them unanimous. Right. No, and um, I'm sure 
you know, it was funny, like the broadcast was saying how much the three days of rest really helped, you know, Curry. That and Toradol shots, like, and, you know, for those of you who don't know who, what Toradol is, Toradol is a uh, prescription strength ibuprofen that is injected. And football players take it before every game. Some football players take it before every game and then at halftime. And it is, although really uncomfortable on your body internally, you end up getting bloody stool, you end up getting terrible stomach cramps. Austin, you're nodding along because I know you know that. <laughs> but, um, but it does make you feel like you have a steel armor around your entire shell, like your entire skin. You feel invincible. So I'm not at all surprised. How is that not a performance-enhancing drug? Great question. I don't know. I don't know. Painkillers. Painkillers aren't uh, banned. It's prescription strength by the team doctor, probably. Huh. Maybe Robinson like, can actually play with that. I, there's some reckless speculation to that because it's not like I actually know. I'm not reporting that he took right, Toradol, right. but it is such a commonly relied on panacea for daily pain across all sports that I would not be surprised if, whether it was a cortisone shot, whether it was uh, Toradol, that um, it you know greatly behooved Stephen Curry tonight. So speaking of uh, injuries, uh, Chris Paul, he was showing a little bit of he could use limping another. on yeah, last week's game two, but he didn't look great at all. I mean, him and Harden didn't look great. Uh, role players, there wasn't a lot of ball movement like we saw in game two of the series. Uh, just looking at the stat line real quick for uh, Chris Paul, he had 13 points, two of eight from three, Harden two of six from three 20 points uh, you know your two big stars your two max players weren't there offensively tonight yeah i mean again i don't know like harden and, and james sorry uh harden and paul also had bad games against the jazz together right so it, i don't know i'm not necessarily crapping on your point as much as uh, there is a level of inconsistency in this team that i think anybody who's watched them all year has come to accept i don't think it means doom and gloom for them you know, I I really wouldn't be surprised if they came out. What Tuesday? It's the next game, right? Yeah, Tuesday night. And one, I why? What would suggest otherwise? They'll watch this. They'll feel like crap. They'll feel like their backs are against the wall. They'll have all sorts of very specific plays that they're going to have to adjust to, right? Yeah. Like they can review on film for two straight days. Yeah, our our podcast uh, photographer actually placed a hefty bet on Game Four. Because gambling's legal now, or I think so. Or is this an illegal bet? It's probably illegal. It's, it it's, am, it's illegal among friends. They can't among just... friends. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But okay, so so what are the keys for the Rockets the rest of the series? I mean, can can they salvage another yeah. win? Do you think yeah. they, they pull the... it out game four? Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, before? yeah, yeah. Is but, it good for the Rockets? I don't know if T Mac gets in or if y'all gets in. Okay. Yeah. No, they honestly just play like they normally play. Like, I think there's also this this narrative about how um, they have to play perfect. They have to play ideal. They have to play better than they normally play. But they haven't played perfect in the series, even game two. Right. It was a role yeah. player stepping up. What do you mean? It's in P.J. Tucker? P.J. Tucker, Tucker Ariza, Gordon. Games. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just like... And I think when they click, that just allows the rest of the team just to yeah, there was, run I mean, on all cylinders. There was, all, there was, there was maybe 50% of what D'Antoni said tonight about them being soft. I think like 50% of that is a little hollow and convenient and just one of the easier things to say after a loss instead of saying, like, you know, Harden's defense was crap. But um, they did look really lethargic. They did look listless. They did look like energy was just the issue. And when it comes to converting those, those you know, point-blank range layups, 
Um, that might just be a little, you know, nanometer more of oomph if they just need to get that in. So they'll come out fired up and feeling emba- having been embarrassed tonight. And I do think they'll play normal. I don't necessarily know if that means that their defense is going to be good enough to, right. you know. Especially if Curry is back. Yeah, oh my gosh, playing like he is. But whatever, fine. Just one step at a time. I, I, I just, it's just not, it's not the time to overreact. They, right. they, they play like crap. At a time when you really can't play like crap, but whatever, it's okay. They have, you know, they have another uh, four games to yeah. uh, figure it out. Yeah, let's take a look at the East real quick. Uh, Boston up 2-1 in the series. Cleveland getting the uh, the big win Saturday night, blowing them out. LeBron doing his thing on the home court. Uh, it was beautiful, yeah. Yeah, so... Boston is currently still favored in the series, mm. minus one twenty. So that means that if you bet one hundred and twenty dollars, you can win a hundred. So Cleveland with LeBron, the history of going to the finals eight straight years, are still the underdogs. You told me before we were recording that you're confident Cleveland pulls the series out. Why? Yeah, is that? I picked I picked them before the series, and I also well, Cleveland very similar to the Rockets is is a team that. Um, They've had such embarrassing bad losses, going back to the Indiana series, of course, only to then follow them with really convincing blowout wins. Um, I don't know. It's just like that's another team where they're really good at making adjustments after getting embarrassed. So I was not surprised at all that they blew out the Celtics in game three. Um, The home court advantage makes a huge difference in, in that series, I think. Because neither they're, neither one of those teams is, in fact, like that strong, that dominant in a team. Um See, so yeah, I just I wasn't that surprised. Also, LeBron does seem like once the lead, once the deficit for the Cavs gets to a certain point, I think LeBron does. Like, you know, he goes into rest mode. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and that's yeah. totally fair because he he played all eighty two games for what the first time in his career. He, and he logged the team. so many he minutes. Exactly. It's like it's fine. Yeah, but and you know he's he's the GM, he's the coach. He's going to take himself out when he needs the minutes, when he he's, needs the rest. He's my presidential candidate for the year twenty twenty eight. No, I'm going to wait till he's finished with his career. But um, I would I would like to see the first. I mean, Barack Obama was great at basketball. I would like to see LeBron lead the Cavs to a title and win Ohio. Mm. That could be that could be something fun. Twenty twenty eight. Yeah. I'll have him, and, I'll, and I'll, I want him to run for president. I want Carlos Correa to be vice president. That could be fun. Yeah. So, anyway. We, I know. We need Jeremy will, here. Will we need Correa, Jeremy here right now to really... Hold on. Will Correa be old enough? By 2028? That's 10 years from now. He's got to be 35. How old is he now? I think that puts him at, what, 33, 34? I don't care. I want him to run. So, okay. All right. Um, no, anyway. I, there's no reason you should be worried about the Cavs. Their three-point shooting was excellent. Their defense was out was outstanding. Um, I do think that they will win... Uh, tomorrow night on Monday night, or I guess when you're, if you're listening to this now tonight, um, yeah, it's what's what's funny is that both series have been so bad in terms yeah. of just not com- non-competitive, yeah, right, blowout, 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 and it's it's odd too because everyone, I, I mean, I had a friend text me this on uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whenever game one of the uh, Western Conference Finals, and he said this is the first time I've actually been excited about watching basketball this season. Because of the the hype, the matchup oh, between the Warriors him, and Rockets, right? And yeah. and all three games have been lopsided. Maybe it, maybe it's also because the style of the game now is so it's like everything's a home run, right? When you're only going for threes, close range baskets, and frankly, like not playing defense that hard, right? Maybe it leads to these blowouts more often, and it also allows for a team like like the Rockets and the Cavs to just say. You know, F it's it, over. whatever. Yeah. yeah, like once it gets to a certain critical mass and they're not feeling it, they end up, of course, like the mode should be that you should 
realize that you have to overcompensate on defense, but instead they try to overcompensate on offense by just putting up more three pointers. Um, you know, which which can leave your defense out of position. And you know, I I'm kind of thinking right now. You know, when blowouts happen in basketball, I feel like a lot of fans just get frustrated. You know, the fact that it was a blowout, but. You know, when you, when you mentioned resting players kind of late in the games, and we saw Joe Johnson get, like, significant minutes. Ryan, Ryan Anderson, the third highest-paid player, human victory cigar, was in there getting minutes at the end of the Luke game. Luke Mamute got a lot of minutes. Right. And, you know, in, in baseball, when you see blowouts happen, you're not going to see a guy like Davinsky come in. You're not going to see a guy like Giles come in. You're going to see Tony Sip. you know. Uh, What's just, your point? You know, just that you do – that basketball is a little bit different in the ter- in the sense that I think fans overreact when you get in the blowout situation, but in baseball, you know, you know, you put in those relief pitchers that kind of know, all right, we're just throwing in the towel. We're just going to go ahead and get out of here or try to be injury well, free. Some of it, some of it is the fatalistic outlook that Rockets fans typically have, right? Oh yeah. The city's so, cursed. City's cursed. And also, you know, these fans have seen this team underperform and get blown out um, by its opponent. Very recently. Spurs last year. That's right. After so, game five is close, coming back home, so my, laying so my, an egg. So it's not totally yeah. unfounded, that kind of concern, right? I'm not sure it necessarily has to do with just like the comparison you were making between like blowouts and sports. But It's a little late on Sunday, so you know maybe that's why it was such a <laughs> terrible analogy. It was, it was terrible. I, I, was, I was being more specific about the Rockets' history, the Rockets' fan base. Right. That they have they have all kinds of reason to to be concerned as as you know as fans tend tend to as fans are wont to do but um it this is a very different team right the franchise never had a team like this the sport essentially has never seen a team like this this you know them and the warriors yeah um I'm trying to think of there any other interesting stats uh let's see um uh, so the rockets they were like 71% on I think they shot seventy one percent on uncontested baskets in games one and two, but then suddenly, like when it came to the uncontested baskets in games three, they were garbage, right? Like we talked about the clanks of the rim. So I'm sort of I'm throwing that out there, I guess, to give some hope to the uh, the Rockets fans out there that data suggests they'll be fine and they'll start hitting their shots. Yeah, yeah. And this is and this is and you hear D'Antoni like a broken record say it all the time. You know, our shots just didn't fall. You know, and I think you know, I guess a real a, a harsher critic might say, well, gosh, like how much longer can you say that? How much longer can you say till our shots won't fall? Well, shoot, man, we everybody expected this to be a six or seven game war. So that means you expected the Rockets to lose at least three or four games, right? This is going to be one of them. Yeah. They'll come back. They will look sharper. And you know what? If they if and if they look just as bad, all right. You then, know, it, then it wasn't meant to be, and they really the whole time were as crappy as we all think they are right now. Yeah, you know? I, I, like, I, I, it, I think fine. It might validate it then, but I, there's no point I, yeah. today to overreacting. I think Draymond said it best in his post gamer uh, after Game Three. He said, "It doesn't matter if you win by 41 or one. You know, your mentality is the same. Like a win's a win's a loss a loss." And I think these are consummate professionals. They're not college players who, you know, if if you lose a game. Uh, it can beat you up twice in a week, you know, and you can lose the next game. I think these guys know when to turn it on, when to turn it off. They have quick memories, that sort of thing. So I, I, yeah. I think the Rockets will be fine, like you suggested. Yeah, uh, these are two, just, just to, to, you know, some of that is the cliche in some way when we say they're professionals. These two are in the top four oldest teams in the league, the two most veteran teams, right? right? 
the Warriors are the fourth oldest team and the Rockets are the second oldest team. You know, like, I, I think I, I jokingly have said before, like, the reason why Chris Paul is really not so fun to interview and James Harden is they're, quote, over it. Like, they really, they just, they've been through so much. They've done so much in this league, you know, that they... Will that Joel Embiid ever be over it? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he's a beautiful, special troll king, but the tr- the NBA's troller coaster. But, but no, I just, I just, um... Yeah, we're you know we need we do need to revisit this after game four. Then yeah. we can then we perhaps can evaluate it more critically. I want to ask you real quick. Uh, so you wrote a story in Sunday's Chronicle talking about the uh, the emergence of um, you know three point shooting and how it has sort of gone from like a, it know, went from a novelty to a necessity. Right, three right. point shooting. Now we all know that three point shooting has become like it's been perpetuated. Every team now, but it's a lot of guys like PJ Tucker who you mentioned. Six five forward, who you know, five six seven eight nine years ago, irrelevant. Now he's becoming an asset. He's indispensable, right? Yeah, he would have been like PJ Tucker a decade ago. Would have been a bruiser in the paint, right? Like he would have been a guy, sort of a la Ron Artest, actually. But if Ron Artest was playing today, we would have seen Ron Artest, much like PJ Tucker, stationed in the corner, taking the most corner threes in the entire league. PJ Tucker made this year thirty six percent. He made 83 out of 206 corner threes. That's a lot of attempts. Well, he took 40 more this year than he than he ever had in his career. Um, and then, of course, who is second? Who who in the league took the second most corner threes? Trevor Ariza on the other side of the uh, uh, the uh, the court. So, you know, it's just the style of the game. But what what's cool about so my story really isn't. It's not about them shooting more threes. It's the the like the difficulty of the threes that so many guys are hitting. Harden with his step back. Steph Curry with yeah, his... Yeah, that was... I thought that was a really interesting point in your your story. You noted that he shoots 44% with his step back shot. And I can't remember the guy that you interviewed or the the, the quote, but the coach... The David quote. Thorpe is yeah. a uh, former coach. Yeah, and, uh, he said in, in his statement that he will not allow his players in his gym to take that shot just because of the difficulty of it. And for Harden, he makes it 44% of the time. Yeah. Well, he makes it more often than... Any other kind of three that he takes, actually, I think any more than his catch and shoot threes. That's insane. Yeah, and because it's off balance, momentum's going in opposite direction. Yeah, and and so you've got his, you've got Steph Curry's quick trigger three, where he um, only needs. I think you know, called it a missile. Long range story. missiles. Yeah, I call yeah. that. Yeah, and he only needs this like pinhole of daylight to to get a shot off. Um, and his unlimited range. Clay Thompson. So I, I had a few cool stats in the story about how coming off screens his style is he comes off a screen doesn't need to dribble gets the ball in his hand puts it right up for a shot did it a few times tonight he made 205 three-pointers this year um in under two seconds like with the ball in his hands for less than two seconds right so he just catch and shoot catch and shoot it's a good pop time for a catcher on baseball (laughs) (laughs) um yeah or for you know austin on a very lonely saturday night <laughs> well, that's again, yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so there's that. Okay, and then so we ask, uh, and Kevin Durant with his incredible yeah. range because he's seven feet tall. He, now, he why is, is so much fun to watch. I texted you this on game one mm. that that is the first time that I've seen Durant play in person mm. since his one and only season at University of Texas. He is such a treat to watch. Like he, his, you know, he was not going to be beat in game one. I mean, the Rockets had a in order to win that game, they had to shut everyone else down and they ultimately did not do it. But the shots that Durant was making, you know, just like off balance, like 
you know, fadeaways from 15 feet. He, it was just yeah, one footers. It was so much well, fun. No, he's really become incredible in terms of his efficiency too. I think he shot. He's almost 50% for that game, 37 points. But anyway, like the whole the whole point of me writing the story was to to look at how is it possible that we have this generation of such incredible shooters, right? That these are three-pointers that never were taken, much less were made so consistently before. And what's cool is that essentially it took coaches finally allowing them, encouraging them to take so many three-pointers and more importantly, to permit them to miss so often, which is a big D'Antoni thing. Like, he doesn't care if you miss. Yeah, just keep shooting. Keep I shooting. Think, what did he tell Gerald Green that, like, when he missed his first few shots in a Rockets uniform, he said, when you miss a thousand of them, I'll, I'll bench you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's great because what it did is it, it, it freed players to really push their creativity. You know, Steph Curry, the reason why he makes these just, you know, seemingly uh, defying shots he, he has to because he, it's hard for him to get space because he's so small, right? So he has to learn how to put up a shot really quickly in really tight, congested, you know, defenses or against, you know, defenses like that. So, uh, you know, for Harden, the step back, he just figured out a way to get all this kind of space because he's so devoted to drawing fouls, of course, right? So he has to invite all kinds of body contact, all kinds of reach-ins so he can get to the foul line that the way to essentially combat that for a three is to literally take a really quick step back and put up a shot quickly. Um, it's cool. You know, like it's necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, and, that, and that's, uh, that's what the story explores. And we've got and a lot of really cool voices, commentary. Yeah, there from absolutely. Chris Weber, Reggie Miller, Mike Miller. Uh, obviously, D'Antoni Durant talks about his process for how he, you know, got comfortable in all kinds of spots around the three-point uh, three line. P.J. Tucker talking about um, his excellence at the corner three and wh- why it is that he gets open so often. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a three bonanza. Yeah, check Three's that. Galore. Check that out at uh, HoustonChronicle.com. And you know, I, I saw it on Sunday. I'm not sure if you saw this, but 5:38 had a story on Roy Hibbert by Chris uh, Herring. Yeah, yeah, it, it, 31 years old, and uh, was one of the best defensive players a few years ago with the Pacers out of the league right now the game's essentially changed yeah i i I thought that was interesting because i I read both of your articles pretty close together and it was just kind of interesting to see how a guy like that who averaged what 20 22 points a game great defensive stopper out of the league but then you have guys like pj tucker who five six seven years ago wouldn't have been in the same position they are today yeah well yeah i well look we're not saying anything of that basketball fans don't know about right. how the game has shrunk how it's gotten faster how it's devoted to three-pointers and it's done so very quickly yeah well but but maybe it was supposed to go in this direction all along like see my, my, my story raises that like chris weber has this comment about how like players were always capable of doing this they just weren't free to do it so in, in truth this may this may be what the game actually was supposed to be as, as wild as that sounds a game that we think is exclusively for the tall, the gigantic, the super strong. Actually, maybe basketball all along was supposed to be for the super quick, right? Uh, certainly after they introduced the three-point line, right? Expanding the floor, expanding right. the game, expanding roles for smaller players. So um, I, I'm not necessarily sure it's a good thing in the long run. You know, I think uh, there is a certain homogenization to these games, to the Rockets offense, where dribble drive, either you kick or you get fouled at the rim. Like, I... But um, 
I guess to speak well of it, we're seeing such phenomenal, incredible, personal, individual performances and right. styles. All right. It's fun to watch. Let's move on to the to the Astros. Yeah, let's talk a little Astros baseball. Uh, taking two or three against the Indians, winning games. Which is big one, for them. One and three of the series, uh, dropping the middle game with Keuchel on Saturday. Uh, they lose that game 5-4 McCullers. Looked great on Sunday night. One hit through seven innings. I think he struck out like eight batters. His curveball looked like it was back. A little bit. I mean, they showed the splits after the game, and he essentially was even. It was evenly dispersed between fastball, curveball, changeup, which is interesting. I don't. Uh, I haven't read it enough at this hour. I'm sure that Chandler Rome, who's the Houston Chronicle beat reporter, I'm sure he did a deep dive into this and talked to McCullers about it after. But yeah, McCullers' curveball has been elusive this year. It's been a, the storyline for him. And if he doesn't have his curveball, I'm not quite sure, like, you know, what his identity is, right? It's so tied to his success and his approach. Um, it's forced him to develop his changeup more, which has been excellent for him. But in terms of tonight, um, I actually thought he did a really good job of getting contact. You know, a lot of contact. You mentioned the eight strikeouts. Obviously, there's going to be swings and misses. But his contact rate has been higher this year. He's getting a lot of, um, I can't remember the term for this, but essentially a lot of grounders but he gets a lot of contact hitting the top of the baseball so he's done an excellent job of living low in the strike zone being effective low in the strike zone it's a certain kind of maturity and that's a word that that we've thrown around a few times we've thrown around a lot Derek Fogel our friend uh you know he harps on Lance's immaturity a lot so uh, it's interesting to see him you know starting to adapt without his most electric stuff it is what mature pitchers have to do you know you learn to win without your hammers right yeah uh, when all you have is you know and his era i think right now is sitting at like 3.2 Three, something like that which, yeah. which 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 normally we would laud as so incredible right and well i'm also take away the eight run terrible start that he had in three innings what was it game three or four for him in the season and he's got an era under three sensational look this the, the, the entire staff I mean, we yeah, were it's t- historic. There, there's yeah. so, I, I think I wrote a story a few weeks ago about how, like, you know, what what defines the best pitching staffs of all time? What would it take for this team to join that? Right? They they look that way a month. They looked that way a month in the season. Um, there are only so since 1989, only one team, only one pitching staff has finished the year with an ERA under three. That's insane. And that is the 2015 Cardinals. Yeah. So the idea that right now this pitching staff is at 2.45 is outrageous, right? That Verlander, Cole, and CFM, Charlie. One, two, three. F and Morton are one, two, three in the array. Yeah, it's outstanding. It's nuts. They're also, no, that's crazy. They're the, the opposing batting average right now. It's under 200. Yeah. <laughs> that's so wild. Yeah. I mean, we do have to brace for a certain kind of realistic uh, bad spell. It's going to happen. It just, it just look, it, this this pitching, it can't be so dominant one through five the whole season. Somebody's going to get hurt, too. It's going to be okay, you know? Fans can still feel super geeked and psyched for October. Like, that's what this whole thing is about anyway, it gives it, right? It gives you a chance, absolutely. It gives you a chance. It, it wins it, it for you. Probably makes they you feel, yeah. Look, yeah. they didn't use their bullpen when they, yeah. they they had to go away from it last year. So, of course, it's outstanding to watch. So, um, I, you know, I... I the Astros, they do have a tough stretch again coming up. They uh, have two games against the Giants this week. Then they go on the road to Cleveland, and then they have Boston and New York in back-to-back weeks. I can't remember which series it's is gonna first. It's going to be Cleveland, then the Yankees starting on Memorial Day, okay. and the Bronx. 
where uh, I will say like, Carlos Correa, you can expect him to have an outstanding season. He, oh, yeah. He always plays well uh, in the Bronx. Perhaps an allusion to you know where he'll play the one future. day. Yeah. Just putting that out there. I, I think uh, I think you're not alone in that speculation. <laughs> that fear, yeah. that, 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 like yeah. fans fear that. Um, but and then and then Boston after that, yeah. No, it'll be a nice, be a nice good stretch. For them. Shows, good you stretch the, them. shows you where the team's at. I also think it, it's a really important stretch for the bullpen. So, yeah. like what the Yankees and Red Sox, one of the one of the, one of the, the problems that they present to any pitching staff is that when you have the the the, the big sluggers in the middle of that lineup. It's when a bullpen has to start matching up lefty righty righty lefty. The Astros have still gotten by now more you know more than one whole season last year. Now two months into this season without a real good option against left-handed hitting. Yeah, Devo is the guy. Devo is the guy. Yeah, Will Harris has been bad this right. year against lefties. Right. Um, I mean, it's still a small sample size, but anyway, against those teams, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, what the bullpen can accomplish. Ken Giles, as you uh, you alluded to earlier, what's the what's the new stat on Ken Giles? Yeah, so since blowing the game against the Yankees uh, and Justin Verlander's 14 strikeout shutout outing, he is five and zero and or five for five in save opportunities with a zero ERA since punching himself in the face. That's where's impressive. Tim Kirkshen with that stat? I, I don't know. Let, let's hear from him, <laughs> <laughs> guys. The Astros are really good. Ken Giles is the only player to have five shutout appearances after punching himself in the face. He, he, you can't make it up. And it was, it was like, it was a vicious punch. Jeremy, who doesn't watch baseball, thought it was the greatest thing ever. Well, he, Shocked. Well, he thought that was normal. Shocked. He, he was like, what have I been missing? This is what closers do? I didn't, I didn't know there was boxing and baseball. This is great. So, yeah, the self-pugilism. But, um, yeah, so I think that'll be a really important test. It also, you know, this isn't particular to those opponents, but the Astros still, their offense has looked pedestrian. They've just been average. Right. It's not that they've been bad, like you can't overreact, but they don't draw walks. They strike out a ton. The, the, to me, this is like having this year's Rockets team and then next year, you know, seeing the 65 win team, you've got everybody back. Everyone's mostly healthy and they come out and win 48, 50 games. They don't have like a, a, an absolutely dominant season from the three point line. That's sort of what it is because I, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, Beltran leaving and they don't have, you know, Cora leaving. No, if it's, no, it's not any of that crap. But, Look, no, it's, it's the common regression to the mean. The team won the World Series in a year in which they had outstanding performances from everybody. Everybody. One through nine in that lineup. Yeah. They were the best offense in baseball. Now, a, a stat that is like every day this is brought up by somebody with the Astros. I know that Derek Fogel, again, our beloved Derek Fogel, he loves to tweet this out, how the Astros lead in run differential, right? Which is a great yeah, stat. Yeah. It usually does correlate to wins that you outscore your opponents by a certain number of runs, and over the course of the season, that will it will just keep increasing the run differential. The only caveat I offer is, well, their stupendous, eye-meltingly impressive pitching that we're watching, it's it's covering up an average offense. You know, I, I I was actually driving back from Austin on. Sunday, and I I can't remember who it was that was on Sports Radio 610, but they were, it actually might have been Derek. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they were they were talking about how it was really fascinating how last year it was an all time historic offense that was a narrative for the Astros, 
and the pitching staff was okay. You know, when they got Verlander, it took them to another level. But this year, it's an all-time historic pitching staff with a okay offense. I mean, you still have your top players, but the bottom of the lineup isn't what it was last year. Yeah. Yet this team is still built for success in October. Yeah, well, like if every- you if you can solidify the back end of the bullpen. I mean, I, mean, uh, I hate to. Uh, I feel like what I'm about to say right now will just cause everybody to turn off the podcast or whatever. But it's like this team is just waiting for October. They're already bored. They it's, are. It's the Golden State Warriors. All right, let's not go that far, buddy. Okay. No, it's just that but, it's more but, it's, right, it's the regular more that, season. It's more that they know how good they are. The AL is just okay. You know, the Angels I do think I do think the Angels will stay in it long enough to challenge them for the division. But I also think that the Astros are going to get to the playoffs. Or they're going to make it. Uh, you know, as like certainly as one of the two wild card teams at the very least. So they're guaranteed to already be playing playoff baseball, right? Right. And that's what this is all about. AJ Hinch manages I think right now he manages in a way where he's thinking about, you know, okay, I got to make sure my bullpen guys have rest. I got to make sure my starters have rest. Carlos Correa has got a lot of rest this year. I don't know if it was you, Derek, or Jake, but when we had our preseason, pre-spring training podcast, one of you guys mentioned that this team is going to lose some games this season, which last year they probably could have won because they're not necessarily – Urgent. Urgent. There's not that sense of urgency. Totally. Absolutely. And are you seeing that a little bit right now? Well, no. They're not not losing games. But look, they're not losing games right now because they're not urgent. They're losing games right now because their offense is And and on that note, do you see sort of a sense of urgency starting to creep up a little bit with the promotions this past week of Kemp and J.D. Davis on Sunday? I need a greater sample size. I think that... The, the, that was the right time to send Jake Marisnik down, right. who's he's just been lost. I mean, he's he struck out almost fifty percent of the time. So he, he had what like a three run homer in his first appearance in Fresno, and I saw everyone on Twitter call this guy up. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and in terms of Kemp, you know, like Kemp was brought up because um, really athletic outfielder, competent outfielder, made um, a nice play in the first inning. On uh, Sunday night, made a really wild, yeah, fun catch in left field in front of the Crawford boxes. Um, Kemp also, you know, can be uh, he can offer speed off the bench, which which Jake did. But the the, the thing that the reason why it was the smartest choice um, is contact rate. Kemp ba- barely strikes out. He's batting three. He batted three thirty five in Fresno with something like fifteen strikeouts. So you need somebody who's going to put the ball in play. This team doesn't have a lot of those guys right now. This team, which is shocking. Certainly compare with last season. Yeah. So last season, I don't. I can't remember if they finished the season like this, but they were they were going to be the only team in history to score the most runs and and strike out the the fewest times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember if they finished that. I think they, they did. They did. They did. But yeah. By the way, the point is they they would have done it in the tops of those categories, and now they're just like they're just okay. Um, they really do need the starting pitching to be outstanding to carry them through. Maybe Kemp, I guess, can be good off the bench, but he's not going to replace. He's going to be the starting left fielder, you no. know? On this team's best day, you have Marwin in left, you have Yuli Gurriel first. The reason why AJ likes to have either, you know, Kemp in left or, or before having Marisnik as center is because it really changes, it dramatically improves the outfield defense, you know, which Hinch loves. Um, 
So maybe, look, maybe Jake comes back in two months. Like, the goal of this isn't to replace Jake Marisnik with one of the guys they called up, with Tony Kemp or with J.D. Davis, right. who also has been on fire. Hitting, like, um, 450 or something like with that. With a 1-1 1.10, whatever, like a crazy OPS. Um, but you need a much larger sample size from him, too, for us to ever think that he's going to supplant someone like Marisnik or a starter because um, his first two weeks in the majors this year when – he was filling in for Yuli Gurriel. Uh, he was dreadful. Just terrible. Right. Um, you know, it is that big of a difference between... And, and I would caution all listeners, whenever you look at minor league numbers coming out of Fresno, it's the PCL. It's yeah. a very offensive-friendly yeah. league. So everything's going to be inflated. So no bit. reason to overreact that either. Right. It's fine. Look, it, Also, it's, he's, he's got a pigeonhole as well because defensively, they put him in, in in left field a few times. Who in Fresno? JD Davis. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's not a guy that's as versatile as someone like Kemp who could play infield. I, I need I need I the, the truth is I need to talk to Chandler uh, about this more. You should we need be, to get Chandler on the podcast. We do. We but have I was not gonna had say, him yet. Like if there's any guy you're gonna trade, JD does seem like the best choice because he's a little older. He's 24, 24, 25, 24. So meaning you know like. This team loves players that are 19, 20, 21, right? Under control for a long time, but also have a long time to keep developing. Um, you know, like JD, it, it's unclear how much more room he really does have to grow, to reach his ceiling. Right. Like, um, and they also are, are stacked at every position he would play. First, third, outfield. Like, they don't have a spot for him. Uh, you're not going to have him go two ways and pitch, unfortunately, like he closed in college. But that's a guy where he's really valuable to trade. Uh, who would you trade him for? I, I'm not sure. Again, I think Chandler would be more informed than I am, but maybe that's a guy that you end up trading for an excellent left-handed relief pitcher yeah. or just a really good, you know, an even better, more competent setup man. If Will Harris is just going to be okay this year or he's just going to be good but not great, you're going to need more. I mean, you just do, right? Um, maybe they end up somehow, you know, uh, I'm trying to think if, yeah, Stassi's been good. He's been good behind the plate. I don't know. I So I guess relief pitching is the, is the place you would start. I... I'm sure fans would be tempted to somehow like elevate one of their fielding positions to get another bat, like to get a better DH or whatever, because you know Gaddis has been a disaster. But the truth is, like, it's actually hard to go out and trade for a player who hits really well, doesn't field at all, that another team is just going to give up, you know? Yeah. Or 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 conversely, like, let's say there's a great DH out there. I, I didn't phrase that properly. If there's a great DH out there. You don't want to trade J.D. Davis for a guy who only hits. Right. Like, you're actually, then, you know, you're really not getting your value for that guy. That's what I'm trying to say. So, like, the Astros in that in, in that position, it's like they kind of want a bargain guy to be their new D.H., right? Because you can't go out and get somebody who's such a good all-around player that he would supplant somebody already in the lineup. Like, it's, it's complicated. But... Anyway, he's a guy that I, w- I would target for, uh, for possible trades. So, so we are talking about roster composition, and... I just want to ask you a hypothetical question at the end of this year. Based on what we've seen this year and last year, both Keuchel and Morton are going to be free agents. If you have to sign one of them, factoring in contract, price, everything, who would you offer that contract to? I don't know enough. I don't know. I mean, like, because Morton on a one- or two-year deal is a better is probably a better deal than Keuchel on four or five. Kyle four five four, you know, hundred fifty million dollars. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming that they won't resign Keuchel, Period. I, I just I think don't. That's I don't think well. they're. You know, I think Morton's got a shot. Well, Morton might get 
overpaid by another team too. But he's getting up there in age. Yeah, but well, there still are teams that. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm looking at the San Phillies, Francisco Giants. Yeah. Every year it yeah. seems like the San Francisco Giants will like overpay for somebody. Evan Longoria. <laughs> Evan, Long- Evan Longoria, and then Jake Arrieta for the Phillies, like you mentioned. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know enough. It's too far. Yeah, it was a hypothetical. Just wanted to throw it out there. I had that conversation with someone uh, this week. I've, I've thrown out a lot of hypothetical uh, sports scenarios. One of which got shot down by you. Uh, oh, which one? The other day, I asked you. Oh my! I remember. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah I, I don't even think it's worth bringing it up here. Bring it up. All right. So purely hypothetical. <laughs> if you're a Rockets fan, would you rather have the current makeup of the Rockets plus LeBron James for one year, <laughs> or would you rather have the current makeup of the Rockets and Brad Stevens for at least five years? I thought it was a fair argument. And Hunter told me to shut up. <laughs> Let's move on. Fair enough. So go ahead and at me at uh, right, on Twitter. Right. But uh, really quickly. How do you f- oh, I was going to say, how do you feel about the, the hockey? <laughs> yeah. Hockey. I, know, okay. I know you've been dying to talk hot <laughs> hockey talk. So we're, we're, we're going to talk hockey just for like a brief f- few minutes. I'm counting down in my head from 90. 60 seconds. 60 seconds. That's fine. 60, 60. Yeah. Vegas Golden Knights. 59. I don't watch hockey at all, 58. but I do pay attention 57. to gambling lines. 56. They were 200 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup this season. I think at one point some sports book offered like 700, 800 to one, and then some people actually took it. So they had to keep on lowering the odds, make them a little bit more reasonable. But Vegas Golden Knights, ESPN ranked them number 31 out of all the NHL teams to start the season. They're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Does this just invalidate hockey even more? I, I mean, if you're the next you know, expansion team, you've got high expectations. I mean, they've played 15 games through what, 13 and three? I don't know, dude. I'm, Wait, I'm, not I'm bad the right at math. That... Thirteen and two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm look. I'm I'm nobody to talk about hockey, so I don't know. I just I just that... think it's a great story. I mean, an I expansion guess, but I, team. But I also know that the main uh, the main complaint about hockey over the years is that it's too easy for low seeded playoff teams. But they were the number one seed. Oh shoot! Yeah, they See, they were the number one seed in the West. They had the best record in the NHL this season. I need to. I feel like this should have been a segment on Yago Sports. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Now he would have been asking, <laughs> you would, you would be great for that. <laughs> Where is hockey played? Is that in this country? Zamboni. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I guess it's a cool story. They're an expansion team in Vegas of all places. Yeah. Where, where now they, you know, they've been ahead of the curve for decades. You must be so thrilled about gambling. the upcoming yeah. legalization of gambling. I, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, Are you going to stop working? No, okay. I would. I'd probably be in a lot of debt if that happened. But a lot I, more I, than I, I got to keep the credit score high. Okay, uh, but Mark Cuban actually said that uh, this is going to double the value of professional sports franchises. Oh wow! And Tillman Fertitta said the same thing. It's a win-win for him. It's good for his wow. casinos. It's good for the Rockets. It is good for the Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be kind of interesting. We're going to have a lot more people dabbling in gambling that and the, might the, not already do it. There's going to be a lot more people in debt as a result of it. I know, but the government's cr- going to get their money. What's crazy is the in-game betting that's going to happen, right? That like, oh, who's going to get the last the shot? People bets, are going to be on their absolutely. phones. You know, with if you're an app developer right now, that's what you need to do. You need, mm. it, you know, I I'm terrible with like technology and 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 coding and stuff like that. But if you have any knowledge in that, highly recommend developing some sort of gambling app like that it'll be cool i look forward to losing a lot of money <laughs> just like the super bowl <laughs> let's, let's not okay let's not yeah, listen. my parents don't know about that okay do they listen to the show I, anyway all right so, fair enough uh, uh, but i i do want to talk you know we go from joking around to yeah. maybe a more uh definitely a more serious subject um 
And that's what happened in Santa Fe on Friday morning. Santa Fe, Texas, which is actually 29 miles from where we record this podcast episode. And we've talked about school shootings. We've talked about mass shootings uh, in, in the past. And I, I think that's actually an interesting segue because Las Vegas Golden Knights are playing this season after the shooting in Las Vegas. And they're dedicating their season to that. The team still goes to blood banks and, you know, meets with victims, that sort of thing. Uh, here in Houston, 10 people dead after a nutcase, 17 years old, goes into an art class, kills, what, eight students, a teacher, and a cop? Um, absolutely awful. I mean, we see it all the time on the news, uh, different cities, uh, different communities, and this happens in our backyard. I thought A.J. Hench had uh, some really good words um, after, or I guess before, the Astros series opener against Cleveland on Friday. He said he's tired of offering his condolences. We're going to play that audio right here. I don't have the words. I mean, I, I'm here in front of a bunch of cameras, you know, trying to make people feel better when I, when I don't think that, 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 that the situation should ever happen. There's no, there's no reason for um, our schools to be combat zones. And, and it's turning that way where I, we, tar- we started the season with a conversation like this in Florida. And now we're talking about it in our own city. And it's going to be a different city and in another city and then another city. And there's um, thoughts and prayers are great. They're not, they're not, they're not fixing the problem. And, and until we fix the problem in our, whether it's how we're, you know, how we believe in, um, whether it's guns, whether it's, whether it's you know, safety, security, um, I don't, we don't, I need it. I, I want answers. I don't want to, I don't want to offer any more condolences. I want to find answers. AJ Hinge, great words. Uh, you yeah, know, he's, he's eloquent and, uh, he's seemingly very, very candid, very, very thoughtful there. Moments. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, he, he said that schools have been torn in essentially combat zones. combat zones. That was, that was the phrase I was looking for, but Astros are in a unique position because of what happened in Parkland. Uh, what was it in, in February and the Astros meeting with the Parkland baseball team during spring training. You wrote a story about that with the Chronicle. You covered that. Uh, and, and now they have a similar situation in, in their own backyard. And I, I feel so bad for these kids at Santa Fe I believe their school sustained damage from Hurricane Harvey. So the seniors in that class opened the school year with Hurricane Harvey, one of the worst natural disasters in U.S. history. And then they closed their senior year with the shooting that takes away, you know, their classmates, their teachers. It's just, it's it's ridiculous, you know. And I don't know. It's... I, I think Hinch said it best where he's tired of thoughts and prayers, tired of condolences. He wants answers. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any of them. But, I don't either. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and it's like every, every solution or every answer you hypothesize is just so controversial, right? Like uh, whether it's because of horribly partisan politics. Um, That's what pisses me off is like, I, I'm technically a registered Republican. I think that I'm more moderate when it comes to things. Really, the only thing that I care about when I go to the the polls to vote are energy, economy, and foreign policy. Other than that, if you know, those are just the things that I think impact me the most. So I go and vote on it. But I think in order to get stuff done, you have to cooperate. You have to reach across the aisle. And like right now in, in Washington, I I mean honestly, since the Obama administration. Republicans refuse to cooperate with the Democrats. And and now with Trump in the White House, you have uh, another president who is so polarizing between parties. And 
Democrats refuse to try to cooperate with Republicans. And it's just politicians trying to make comments to angle their way into getting more notoriety uh, to get themselves yeah. reelected well, also, rather than caring about the constituents, the kids that are out there actually getting shot and killed in the schools. Yeah, what also sucks about the rhetoric, even in the wake of the shooting this weekend, is that you have like every single person says the same phrase. We want change. We want action. We want something actually done. Yeah, every there's there's no one out there that's like saying, "Oh no, oh, no, no, let's I, keep it going. Gonna, let's keep right. it going." But we can't get specific because we're so unbelievably divided on yeah, it. And it, also the, you know, there is, it's like the um, the convenience that the mental health discussion offers in terms of arguing that it's not about guns. Like, there's no, it's really hard to have a counter argument to that. Of course, these shooters are mentally disturbed, problematic. Of course, most, no one would argue most, most criminals are, right. period. So, uh, but, you know, in Texas where gun ownership is so important, any encroachment on it, um, it's just, it's immediately, it immediately turns people off. Um, so the fact they don't even listen. Yeah, I, you know, it was interesting. Don't even have a conversation. Yeah, I, you would probably know better than I would, but I actually haven't gotten the sense that this shooting at Santa Fe on Friday, it's a recording on Sunday, it's two, late, two days later, I don't know. I haven't quite gotten the sense that it's been treated with nearly the same harrowing as Parkland. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Oh, 100 percent. And I don't know. It, I don't. The story. Quite know uh, what it is. Outside, is it because it's so, like it's so identical? No. That it's there's. I think. I think there's two reasons. I think the first reason is Parkland is a more affluent area, uh, and, and the kids are more politically active, more engaged on social media, that sort of thing. It's more of a progressive community, if you will. Um, and so I think that is why they were a little more vocal because Santa Fe is blue collar. It's it's not that well off. It's it's your standard middle America talent. It's, it's also it's in Texas. point you're making, actually, because a lot of the social media discussions after were not, um, you know, it wasn't about what are politicians doing? What are politicians not doing? It was a lot about, you know, being thankful yeah. to God that they were still alive, yeah. that their friend, that some of their friends and were it's, it's the same. It's the same thing that we saw with the uh, Sutherland Springs shooting in Texas at the church. Right. Same thing. It, it, it goes out of the news within 24 hours, whereas Parkland was a, a unique... It's an interesting point you're making. Yeah, yeah it was a unique situation. It, it's still in the news. I mean, we, we hear about the, the Parkland victims all the time, you know, on, on social media. This we, weekend. No, yeah. this weekend. Yeah. So there were students... David at, Hogue, Kyle Kashov. Like, I mean, you have both sides. I'm a Gonzalez, yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing is that this was done with a shotgun and a pistol and not a AR-15. Yeah, so there's a certain, like, it, it takes it out of... the Like, there, there was an easier discussion... To be had about why do we have assault weapons? Why you know? But why it, it just goes to show you that you know some people want to ban assault weapons, AR-15s. You can inflict just as much damage with a pistol, just as much damage with a shotgun as you can these weapons. It's yeah, but you, it, you know, you, Austin, you and I are like-minded on this issue, right? Yeah. Like, and who are we talking to right now? Who's listening? Right? We, you, I mean, probably nobody. Jeremy has probably turned this off right now. <laughs> Jeremy's not listening. But the, but you know, the truth is. We could use somebody like Jeremy right now because to have a sensible 
and revealing dialogue, you can't talk to, to people that already agree with you, right? Right. Like, I just, uh, but but Jeremy, I know, I mean, I'm comfortable saying, like, Jer- Jeremy and I have opposing views about, you know, gun ownership. And we had an awesome podcast several months ago, right? It was after the, the was, Las Vegas shooting. Uh, I think it was Sutherland Springs, actually. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's sad that we have to... That in the yeah, last six months, we which mass shooting it was that inspired it's, it's us. To have this I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. Well, but but everybody hates it. It's not like anybody doesn't. It, no one feels indifferent about yeah. this. Yeah. But um, there perhaps is some kind of atrophy to it because uh, you know, like nothing can get done, right? We're so we're so torn apart in terms of what we want to change, like literally specifically what we want to change, that you know there's a stagnation. Right, um, the argument about well, we need you know more security guards in the school, more armed security guards, more trained security guards. Oh I boy, mean, there were secu- there were security guards there, and they <laughs> there con- were two. They they confronted the killer, and you know he, I guess, from what I had read, he was his plan was to go in there, shoot up the school, and then kill himself. But he got too scared to kill himself. There, there were also bombs that. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, he intended to plant and. Uh, this this sounds terrible but it could have been a lot worse well, this is what i was gonna say so like so here's the nuance of it right you say okay great like there were security clearly security worked right in that um it stopped it to the degree that it did and it did not prevent it so it's like well is now the solution that instead of two security guards there should be 10 is it that you can't you can't make it but or, you can't or, make it well or it, but i'm saying or is it also that look Two security guards didn't stop it, didn't prevent it. There really isn't, you know, it's like the force of more bodies in the school with guns on them is not going to prevent students from yeah. entering the schools yeah, I, with guns on them. I, I don't think you can turn it into Jerusalem and, you know, have IDF all over the place. IDF is really defense force. It's, it's you know, everyone, I think I, I don't know. everyone above the 18, uh, the age of 18 has to join uh, the IDF. You know, they carry weapons around every corner in Jerusalem. That's not what you want to see at your schools. Yeah. No, I don't know. And, you know, um, I I do want to ask you, because you covered Santa Fe High School's baseball team in the third round of the playoffs. They were playing Kingwood Park uh, on Saturday. I was going to say. And then you also covered the Parkland teams. I mean, just what what was that experience like? All right. So um, when I was covering the Astros in spring training, it was really important to me uh, to try to, to find something related to Parkland. We were only, we were less than an hour away. Um, and it kind of hit me, oh, they, they must have a baseball team and their baseball team had been their The start of their season had been postponed, uh, by, by a few weeks, by month, uh, because of the shooting and I covered, you know, their, their road back, like their road to recovery and I'm pulling that community together through the start of a very, very successful traditional, uh, traditionally successful baseball program. Um, and then here with, Santa Fe, their playoff game was supposed to be Friday night. Obviously, that gets postponed, and the players were given a choice. Do you still want to play? And a day later, Saturday night, uh, they did. You know, absolutely. And they it had, was they a, had a teammate or two that were shot, correct? Yeah. One of the teammates, um, there was, like, shrapnel from the shotgun blasts that lodged in his back, and he was hurt. Um and then they had a pitcher that was actually shot in the Rome, head, right? Sh- yeah, Rome uh, Schubert or Schubert? Schubert. Rome Schubert, 16 years old, 
a really impressive young man. He, I, think he, I think he's committed to Texas or A&M uh, at UH, for baseball. He's a UH, UH, UH uh, yeah, pitching yeah. commit, their best pitcher. And just like, yeah, like miraculously, a bullet passed through the back of his head and clean out, and it didn't damage anything. And he was on the field Saturday night acting like himself. I mean, he was like a really remarkable kid. 16 years old, super mature, has a, all kinds of like levity about him. He was able to joke around. He was able to ha- be buoyant with his teammates. He was sort of, he removed his cap, craned his neck forward, and, and lifted these like thick red uh, locks of hair that he has. Uh, he lifted them up to show on the back of his neck the scar um, to awestruck teammates and coaches. You know, he's a living miracle. And to a very devout community, by the way, you know, they really do believe that that is what he represents. And um, it was very emotional there. I mean, unlike Parkland, where they had had a month to process all kinds of, you know, components. They they didn't even have thirty-six hours. Right. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And but it was it was it was um, impressive to see. I think all the young men who played were really poised and, but also. Uh, mature and sensitive enough to appreciate the meaning of that game on both sides. The opposing team, Kingwood, wore Santa Fe shirts before the game. Um, all the players from both teams locked, so they, they kind of slung sh- their arms around each other's shoulders and formed a circle around the mound for a group prayer before the game. Uh, in the fans, so much crying. Um, it was, it was uh, you know, very meaningful. Um, was that game in Kingwood or Santa Fe? It was a neutral site in okay. Deer Park. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what it might have been like on Santa Fe's campus, but, um, you know, it was still uh, just very emotional to watch and be a part of, um, you know, that, that and, and no one suggested that the baseball game was like really, like that would heal things that would help them move past, but it was... It actually, it's interesting. It, it, it was much more of a chance to mourn together, to come together, to kind of still live with what had happened, as opposed to, it's like, Parkland is a little interesting in that when I was covering it, it that the the mark the start of their season marked a tremendous step toward normalcy, toward getting back to normal. This wasn't about that. This was more about hugging, touching, crying together, praying a lot because they still are living in the wake of the tragedy. So it was a chance to mourn, just to be together. Um, it's a really interesting angle. I mean, just the the comparisons between the two schools, uh, the two baseball teams, but wildly similar. It, like, it's it's I mean, also really unfortunate that you've had to cover both. I don't know. I I wouldn't like. It's not. It's neither unfortunate nor fortunate. Like I I happen to. What's unfortunate is just that's happened. Period. Yeah, right. right? That, like that's I happened, what I was going for. Okay, right. Okay. right. like obviously I happen to be in both places, and I wanted to document it. Because we should be reading about, you know, it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about how media is covering these shootings, right? Should we be publishing the names of the gunmen? Which is an interesting thought. It it, it was also interesting. Um, Sports Radio six ten, which I listen to in in the, in the car. Um, if I'm not listening to Spotify, and on Friday night I was going over. Uh, to my girlfriend's house for dinner, and Paul Gallant. Ooh, yeah, Austin's got a girlfriend. That's true. That's true. She met my grandmother this weekend. But wow, what's yeah. next? I, I marriage. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> she doesn't listen. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she really cares about you. 
So, uh, Paul Galan, uh, who we've had on the show before. Yeah, I like Paul. He, his first, like, intro in, in into the show, the first five minutes, he was talking about it. He's like, look, here's what happened. I'm not going to mention the shooter's name. He said, quote, I hope he dies. And then went on to talk about why we can't get shit done. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, just that that was the lead on Houston Sports talk show here on a Friday night when you have the Rockets heading into game three. You've got an Astros big series against Cleveland. And that was the the talk of the show. And then again, on Sunday. Oh, what's your point about that? Well, it's just on, on Sunday, for example, uh, Derek was hosting in the afternoon. And uh, they were discussing the shooting as well. And it's just, I think it's good that at least people are having these discussions on platforms that don't typically involve uh, this type of narrative. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe something comes of it. I, I don't, I'm hopeful that something does. I don't think it will, but at least I think the more platforms that are out there talking about this, the more people hear that, okay, this is actually a problem. You know, I can't escape from it. I don't know, I'm a little more cynical about it, Austin. I don't know about that. I, I, mean, I don't you're know. If, right. I don't know if you're more, probably right. No, I, I'm not suggesting I'm right. I just I don't know if more dialogue. The, the argument more, that I go back to, and and I always mention this to people who talk about gun reform. If images of 26 year olds being shot and killed at Sandy Hook don't do anything to move the needle, nothing is ever going to change. I mean, that was, that was, I guess, kind of my cynicism about it. It's that we've had these conversations for a while, yeah. years now. We're having the same exact conversations. We're seeing the exact same things. This is what Hinch was talking about. I'm tired of offering Combat zones. Yeah. Yeah. But the Houston Chronicle, uh, I, I know you guys were doing... You've uh, done a oh, lot of, a you lot lift, of you really lifted the paywall. You lifted the paywall this weekend. I don't know if that's still going on. Is it? Yeah. For coverage of... Um, all related to Santa Fe and the shooting. Uh, you can go on to HoustonChronicle.com and read it all for free. Be sure to check that out. And uh, also just want to remind you a, a few things that are coming up uh, this week with the uh, the podcast. Uh, May 22nd, this Tuesday, as the runoff election in the state of Texas, we had Dan Crenshaw on the podcast two weeks ago to discuss Congressional District Number 2. Uh, he is running... Uh, for Congress, uh, go back and listen to that episode. It was episode, I think, 130 or 131. Uh, he'll be in the runoff Tuesday afternoon looking to uh, really, honestly, win the election and head to D.C. Uh, in November. And then also uh, Ben Jackson, who we had on the show three, four weeks ago, is going to be performing uh, this week uh, his show uh, in Montrose on Friday night. So check that out at uh, Ben Jackson Magic. Dot com. Also, we're giving away a few tickets to that show. Uh, you can just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to find out how you can win. Uh, we're going to pick two winners on May 23rd. But, uh, Hunter, it, always great to have uh, good discussions with you, whether it's something as fun as baseball, as frustrating as Rockets, or as serious as what happened Friday in Santa Fe. Uh you know, we, we had talked about how we wanted this episode to be 30 to 40 minutes right at the hour mark right now. I mean, I, I think issues like this need to be discussed and yeah. you, you can't run from them. Well, maybe uh, next time we'll have Jeremy. And it'll be a, a much more contentious discussion. Absolutely. In a well, fruitful way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hunter, follow him, Hunter Atkins 35 on Twitter. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the Chronicle, whether it's for sports coverage, for Santa Fe coverage. 
uh, HoustonChronicle.com. It's like, what, five cents a day? I don't know. It's cheap. It's it pocket is. No, it's affordable. Uh, yeah. We also we have something called Texas Sports Nation, which is sort of like an insider's bit of news that... Uh, for, yeah, Yes, Austin? You're pointing at me? Yes. So t- you guys have this promotion about giving away Rockets tickets if you subscribe to the newsletter. Can you rig that for me? Definitely not. No. Damn. I, I didn't even know we did that. We're giving away Rockets tickets if you subscribe to... Like if you subscribe to the newsletter, not even like the oh interesting, not All even right, so subscribe to the newsletter. Yeah, you have to you have to pay. Uh, I feel like I mean, it's so taboo to like talk about how much anything costs anymore. But for twenty dollars more a year, like twenty bucks, right? Essentially, whatever it is, two three beers at a or two three cocktails at a nice restaurant or midtown parking. And, and you know, yeah, and if you, if you, if you, you like get, Connor, you're paying for his rent, so it's it's, it's a win win. <laughs> <laughs> I try promise you that that money definitely does not go to me in any way, but. No, it goes, it goes to the paper, and what it, look, no one else, I think no reader would really care about what I'm about to say, but we as reporters are now working even harder. We are reporting even more. We are doing more interviews, looking more into stats, writing more stories. We are doing more work, all, putting out more content, so that, you know, for $20 more, you get uh, like an, a more insider angle on things. You want to know, okay, we talked about Lance McCullers tonight, like his pitch breakdown, why he was doing that. That stuff probably is not going to be such an integral part of the game story. But Chandler or I, or David Barron, whoever is covering the game that day, we will dive into it much more intimately to give you a separate story on it. The inside pitch, balls and strikes is what we call it for, for the Astros, right? For Jonathan Fagan, it's his uh, three-point takeaways. And it's stuff that, you know, we get to use our voice a little more. We get to kind of cut away the BS. And I don't have to, we don't have to rely so much on, you know, crappy quotes. We can just tell it like it is and say, okay, why is Ken Giles like not pitching well? Why is it, what is his role? Who's going to really close? That's where we get into it. Yeah. Punch the face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody can see that part, but not everybody gets to see the kind of emotional um, journey that that guy went on in the the week after that, which I wrote about. Yeah. So, you know, you want more. Stuff that you can't get so easily that, frankly, like ESPN isn't going to write about, that Sports Illustrated isn't going to write about, uh, that The Athletic might not write about. Every single hold game. Hold on, hold on. You're calling Jake out right now. Well, at this point, <laughs> this point he can't contend, which is that we cover every single game. After yeah. every single game of the three major teams here, we offer even deeper analysis on Texas Sports Nation. Yeah, and I like that you guys are finally doing that for sports outside of the Texans which I think that's what this kind of provides. Um, but again, check, check that, that out. out. Yeah. Houston, Jinx. Chron- <laughs> Houston Chronicle, Hunter Atkins 35 on Twitter. Hunter appreciate it. It's been episode 133 of the podcast. And since you're here, I'll go ahead and say this. We hope you listen again next week. Oh yeah. I don't like when, when, when you say we'll see you next week because we don't see anybody. I'm, I'm just looking at you right now. Well, hopefully I'll see you. But you know week. what? I love you. Thanks man. Appreciate it. I love all of you who are listening. <laughs> Thanks mom and dad. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. I'm kidding. My parents are not listening. I don't know how to do this. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew, 